What's up, everyone? I'm Andrew Steinwald, and this is Zima Red. On this show, we speak with the users, founders, and creatives that are diving into the world of unique digital assets, also called non-fungible tokens. My guest today is Colborn Bell. Colborn is a co-founder of the Museum of Crypto Art, commonly called the Mocha. Colborn runs the Mocha with his business partner and friend, Pablo. Together, they've amassed an incredible collection of crypto art and show no signs of slowing down. Speaking with Colborn really makes me understand the potential and power of blockchain for creators of all types. They are now able to control their own destiny and create with total freedom, which is leading to a creator's renaissance. As well as their investments in the crypto art scene, Mocha is also heavily involved with the virtual world Somnium space. Colborn's passion for Somnium is contagious, and he dives deep into what makes it such an incredible and immersive experience. The Mocha has built incredible galleries in world where people can see amazing pieces of crypto art in full virtual reality. I can't wait to see what creative experiences Colborn and the Mocha team come up with next. Please enjoy my conversation with Colborn. Before diving into today's episode, I'm extremely happy to announce the first sponsor for the Zemered podcast, my good friend, Digital. Digital is an amazing creator that tokenizes his art and music. He is constantly on the bleeding edge, and you can see it all on his website, danky.art. Make sure to sign up for his newsletter, where he sends out updates on the journey of a digital artist leveraging the power of Ethereum. Sign up at connydigital.com join. Now time to jump back into the episode. Colborn, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm super excited to chat with you. And to get us started, I'd love to hear a little bit about your background. Yeah, sure. Well, thank you so much, Andrew, for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. And I really do appreciate everything you do for the space. So, you know, my name is Colborn Bell. I was born and raised in Southern California, went to university in New York, which is coincidentally where I met, you know, my partners in this Mocha project, Pablo and Desi. So we've been friends for about 13 years. And I studied economics and psychology. I did about all the investment banking that I could take, which was about six months. I jumped from there over to UN Capital Development Fund, where I worked for a couple of years building a infrastructure bank project in East Africa, moved back to Los Angeles for a while and was working at a wealth management firm founded by vegan Buddhists. You know, the whole idea was how you can do more with your money from an impact side and from there, I you know, joined a private family office running their, their U.S.-based family office and was doing that concurrently while I was doing a you know, significant amount of blockchain investing and, and participating in this space. So that's me. I love that. I love the, the tidbit about the vegan Buddhists. I, I would not suspect that. So that, that's really cool. So it, it seems like your background was very heavily influenced and, and kind of you were very involved with the financial side of things. So when you first learned about crypto, what was your initial reaction? Because, you know, a lot of people from the traditional financial world are kind of more hesitant about crypto, but it seemed, I, I don't know, you seemed like you were investing pretty heavily. So I'd love to hear kind of your initial reactions and, and what kind of attracted you to crypto. Yeah, I mean, if you kind of look at at my career path, it was all really about in the beginning, how do we play within the existing financial paradigm to affect change for good? You know, so how do we use kind of this, the idea of, of something stale and stagnant, which would be currency and do it to affect change? And really in each one of those steps, I was finding myself in a system 
that either was too bureaucratic or was too rules-based to really effectuate the change that I wanted. So when I found crypto, it was more about, I guess, the, the freedom and the ownership and the ability to participate more democratically, both in kind of the the wellspring of ideas that were being generated that typically, I would say, you know, mostly venture capital firms and, you know, Silicon Valley had this monopoly on and bringing that to a place where more people could just participate at a ground stage in the ideas that they wanted to, I guess, bring into the world. Yeah, I, I really love that. It's kind of like the ethos behind crypto is is kind of building a better system at the end of the day. It's like, you know, there's kind of people talking about down with the Fed and get rid of the dollar and kind of digital gold and whatnot. But at the end of the day, it's it's really about building a better system. And that's what's really important. And that's why I love people that are kind of had that ethos and are building stuff in, in this space because they, they have that mentality going into whatever they're doing. Yeah. And, you know, for me, it, it solved a lot of the problems or at least it claimed to solve a lot of the, the problems that, that I saw. Problems around identity, problems around supply chain transparency, problems around corruption. For me, it just made sense to move everything into a immutable decentralized ledger where, you know, there was full transparency and you could see basically pseudo anonymously what the participants in these networks were doing. Absolutely. So what are your views today on cryptocurrencies? You know, things like Bitcoin, Ethereum and the other altcoins. I am super bullish I think Bitcoin has proven its use case. You know, this is a this is a means to move money all around the globe instantly. Like when you go back and you compare it to something like a bank wire, a bank wire just makes no sense in a day like today. We, we are so connected. You know, we have the ability to communicate and share information at the speed of light. Why can't we do the same with money? And then obviously, you know, the evolution into smart contracts and, you know, what people are doing with DeFi and all of the, the various use cases that people are finding, including even this next maybe third generation blockchains, your Hashgraph, Algorand, uh, what Avalanche is doing. These new emergent protocols are incredibly exciting for me. And I truly think they're going to lay the foundation for, you know, a better, fair economic system. Yeah, I, th I think it's important to, to point out that you know, when we were talking about crypto building a better system, is that what we've seen today with the ICOs and, and all that, it hasn't really accomplished what it set out to. But I want to just remind people that it is so early still, and we still have many, many years ahead until this kind of future that we envision of, of a better system is fully plays out. But it's still the very early days. And, you know, I'll add, like, you have to be building a concurrent system so people at the end of the day have a choice where they can opt into, right? People now feel like they have no choice. And it's going to take years of development, especially from a user interface side, for your everyday person to understand and interact with these systems. But if we're not building something in parallel and there is no choice, well, then ultimately people are stuck. I completely agree with that. It's, it's all about having the optionality to kind of, I don't know, exit the system, if you will. Agreed. So how did you get involved with non-fungible tokens? I'd, lo I'd love to hear about that journey. Well, I guess probably my first experience was 
participating in the MANA ICO and then the subsequent land auction for Decentraland. I played a little bit with CryptoKitties. I was never into, you know, the breeding and selling, but I do have one, you know, sitting in my vaults, just a, a Gen Zero unbred CryptoKitty. So I guess that's where it started. But, you know, my first interest was in virtual worlds and tying title and ownership of these lands to records on the blockchain. So you got involved with DCL. And then were there any other projects that, that really caught your eye? I mean, you mentioned you had the uh, CryptoKitty, but any other projects along the way that, that you got involved in? Yes. When Decentraland had their big treasure hunt event, it kind of brought me back into this space. And the thesis that Pablo and I were moving forward with was largely that gaming and provably rare digital items in gaming would bring a lot of new entrants into this ecosystem. So along the way, you know, we were playing various games as well, F1, Delta, and Zed Racing. But, you know, in our minds, it all really clicked when we put together crypto art with these virtual lands. Awesome. Yeah. So, and you, you mentioned Pablo. I'd love to hear a little bit about Pablo because, you know, he's one of your oldest friends, but also your business partner. Can you tell me just a little bit about, about him? Yeah, of course. You know, born and raised in Miami from a Spanish family. We met at Columbia. We were both in economics, so we were doing a lot of work together. And we had just this very unique experience at this time in New York. So we were able to really, I guess, kind of get to, I guess, the depths and the core of each other's personalities. And, you know, at the end of the day, just an incredibly intelligent, fair, strong-willed person with a tremendous vision and an ability to execute. Wow. I hope someone talks about about me the same way in the future. But that's awesome. I love that. So it's so cool that you can you have a, a great friend and also a business partner, because I feel like that's pretty rare. But when that does work, it just it works like magic. Yeah, you know, like in this space, because things move so fast, trust is everything, right? And we could not do what we do if it wasn't for, you know, that very deep trust that we have in the other person and the respect that we have. And, you know, we are very different people. I think we share very similar values, but, you know, we have separate minds for what this is and where this is going. And kind of in that interaction, we're able to bridge different worlds and different elements and build a, a larger cohesive vision of all the things that we're seeing. I love that. So what is crypto art and what makes it valuable? Yeah, what is crypto art? Well, crypto art in the simplest terms is art that is on a blockchain, right? So we have this full transparent history of provenance. We have a transparent history of bids, sales, previous collectors. All of this information that was very previously opaque is being brought into the light. And from that, you know, we have a tremendous amount of data. And for me, that data and the storytelling that is accompanying these images, videos, 3D objects 
is to me what makes it incredibly valuable. That's really cool. I, I didn't really think about that in particular because usually when I think of story, I'm always thinking about, okay, what is the story behind this piece of art? Like meaning that, hey, this artist made, let's say, I don't know, this image of the ocean because it represents this and that, blah, 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 whatever. But then really the, the data itself tells a really interesting story. And that's cool that you touched upon that because it, you know you can see Colborn bought this back in 2020 and then Andrew bought it in 2022 or whatever. And it just that in itself tells a really cool story and kind of the history of the piece without even without even giving any background on the piece itself. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of different dimensions that come into play that in the traditional art world, right, there's so many gatekeepers that kind of point to and ascribe value and, and those people are few and far between. But here we have a much, in my mind, broader audience that is able to signal and identify what they like and collectively what these collectors and curators on these platforms are doing are creating a voice and a movement for the artists and these pieces. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because I feel like with crypto art, the artist has now full control of kind of their, I don't know, their, their destiny, so to speak, right? They're able to control the, their media, their, their kind of their marketing with the social media, and then they're able to control kind of the financial rails because they can create the asset themselves and then sell it directly to collectors. They don't have to go through a gallery anymore. Some still, you know, go out, obviously sell on platforms like these gallery type platforms like Super Rare and Nifty Gateway, et cetera. But if they want, they could just sell directly to, to collectors. But I think in this world, when the artist has all this power, which I think is awesome and it's amazing, but I think the role of the curator almost becomes more important because now, you know, you're going to have as many pieces of art as there is, you know, pictures on the internet, right? And so curation actually is, is almost more important in this kind of internet native art world. I mean, there's so many interesting elements to this, right? Like the, the artists now as their own entrepreneur and representative makes it a multidisciplinary skill set that is required to, I guess, evangelize themselves. And I can only speak to, to what was done previously, but previously it seemed like the, the gallerists were keeping the artists in the background so that they could keep the business kind of clean from what could otherwise be, you know, more messy individuals. So, you know, we're going to see how how this new paradigm all plays out. And there's going to be different avenues and paths for these artists to take. But something that is incredibly important to me is the empowerment of the artists to be you know, their own representative and, and, the, and then the carrier, I guess, of, of what the message is that they're choosing to put out. And then curators, you know, will have the option to either participate or, or not. And instead of just a, a single gatekeeper, you have, I guess, more of a collective community-oriented process around which stories are resonating. Yeah, that's super important to point out is that artists kind of back in the day, or I guess, you know, today in the traditional world, they really only have to focus on creating the art and the kind of the gallery does all the busy work for them. But the crypto artists today, they have to create the art. So be very creative, which in itself is difficult. And then they have to be great at marketing. They have to reach out to different people. They have to negotiate. They have to do all this kind of busy work. 
And so it's it's cool now that they can do that if they, if they want to. But then also I'm sure that there's going to be people that are going to be, hey, we're going to do all that busy work for you. You just focus on creating, right? Do what you do best. I think that that's really cool too. So I like that the artists have the power, but there's still the optionality for them to, to choose what they want to want to do. And you know what? Just a, a small caveat of that is is that the, the whole system in general, because of this, allows them to experiment more. In a gallery model, they're more told what to create based on what is selling. Now, they can receive those cues from the marketplace, but they still have the ability to be much more experimental in their style. They have the freedom to release earlier works, experimental works, kind of studies along the way. Otherwise, in a traditional world, this work gets lost. So there is a, an element of freedom, creative freedom, that is compelling to me as well. Yeah, that's also another amazing point to hit upon is, is kind of experimentation and allowing the artist to, to build and, and do more things. And just from my short time in the crypto art industry, we've seen at first it was static images on the blockchain, then it was kind of, you know, GIFs, and then some people are doing videos and there's audio now. So it's like, we're expanding what is art. And I, I think that that's so cool. And the pace of experimentation is is faster than it could be in the in the physical world, just because in the physical world, we're dealing with actual canvases, paints, you know, pens and pencils, whatever. And then in, in the digital, we're dealing with just code. And so if someone's like, hey, I want to create a piece on async, and I'm going to, you know, connect it to like, the weather app so it it rains in, in the picture whenever it rains in real life or whatever like that's something that never could have existed now we're kind of just doing it it's only been like two years so it's it's incredible the pace of innovation it is it's really interesting so do you think the traditional art sector will eventually become involved in crypto art or do you think that it'll kind of be this niche forever in the future i think there is undeniable value in a blockchain keeping a record of provenance and these data points, right? I think the data in itself is so incredibly valuable that every artwork in the future will be held on a blockchain. I will say for digital art and, you know, new media artists, there's also a incredibly compelling argument to be made that our technology will eat everything. The future will be entirely digital. And the medium through which these digital artworks will be expressed will also be digital. So whether that is AR, whether that is VR, and it's there's also an incredible social element to this as well, where even something as simple as like a Snapchat filter, I think it was Jeff Koons who put his, his balloon animals all over public parks, whether in London, whether in Central Park, New York, and people could access that through a Snapchat filter and take a selfie with that. And suddenly, you know, people have that image and they feel connected to that work without that work actually existing in physical reality. Love that. So there's a lot of people in the traditional art world that will look at crypto art and say, no, like this is just, this doesn't make sense. You know, it's on a computer, you can't touch it, blah, blah, blah. I don't know. Do you have an argument to those people to say, hey, listen, this does have value because of this reason? You know, you're never going to be able to convince somebody that is so grounded in the physical world that digital is important, right? But, you know, I've had several experiences that have 
have really informed why I think this is going to be important. And it's coming largely from a generation that is just a bit younger than myself. And whether these are individuals who play Fortnite or Minecraft or the social experiences that people are having now are largely digital in my mind. And this, of course, is being rapidly accelerated by coronavirus. But they prefer interactions in a digital ecosystem. It gives them the ability to represent themselves and their identity more freely. And it gives them the ability to associate and build community with, you know, like-minded people. So in just coming into crypto art, I've probably made more friends in these seven months than perhaps I have in the past five years. And that is just largely based on a, a value alignment. So what I believe the future holds is that we will be aggregating in online spaces and we will be connecting to people that are, are like-minded around similar ideas and want to bring these ideas into new forms of community and governance. And I think if we put arts and culture at the center of that, instead of, you know, perhaps business, then we will be ultimately very successful in ushering more people to these spaces. So you mentioned, you know, people interacting and kind of meeting each other in virtual spaces. I know you're a big fan of Somnium Space. Could you tell me about what Somnium Space is? Yeah, so Somnium Space is first and foremost a blockchain-based virtual reality world. So it is not accessible through a web browser, as CryptoVoxels Decentraland is. It is accessible only through a Windows PC, and if you have the hardware, a VR headset as well. And, you know, I've, I've brought maybe 40, 50 people into this world now, and that jump from two dimensions into three dimensions, making the whole experience more profound and, and tangible, the reactions are just incredible. Like, I really wish I had a recording of, of everybody's first time when they are dropped into the city center there. Beyond that, you know, they have a, a free builder tool, which allows you to to build on the land. They make it very easy to import your NFTs and suddenly beyond expressing yourself through your avatar, you can express yourself through a space that is not confined to, I guess, the, the laws of gravity or any of kind of the, the physical limitations that we have. And it allows, in my mind, for a, a deeper, true expression of who you are as an individual and the spaces that you want to share with your friends and bring other people into. Yeah, I, th I think, you know, it, it's so cool because everyone I speak to about Somnium Space says, you have to go in world. Everyone's like, you've got to get a headset, got to go in world. And I actually have a headset and I still haven't been in world just because I'm super lazy, but I 100% need to because I, it just everyone says when you are in, the, in Somnium and you look at a piece of art that you own on a piece of land that, you know, you built, it's just the feeling is so incredible because, you know, obviously with a headset, you kind of feel tricked, like your brain's tricked into 
thinking that you're at that actual location. But when it's something that you've built and then the art that you bought and you see it on the wall and it's huge or whatever, it's like, it's like that, that feeling is so magical in a sense. It's, it's just incredible. So yeah, I really need to get on that. And the people that tell me about Somnium and going in world are fanatical about it. So I know there's something really, really special there. You know, what I'll say, it's, it's just a really special thing how quickly you are able to close the loop from a, a concept in your mind of what you want to see into going into the builder, you know, creating it in a day, deploying it in worlds, throwing on your headset, and suddenly you're there. And what lived as just an idea, and obviously this is, is kind of the, the foundation of, of art and expression, is how do we begin to pull these things out of our mind and place them into tangible space for your own catharsis and for others' enjoyment, it's a really special thing. And whereas, you know, it would take a gallery months and tens of thousands of dollars to build an exhibition space, you know, we can do it basically for for nothing other than our own time and passion and desire to bring these things into the world. I love that. So you and Pablo, you guys have built the Museum of Crypto Art. Yeah, could you tell me about that before diving more into why you chose Somnium to build that whole structure out into? Yeah, I mean, it's it actually really does just begin with Somnium Space and, and why we chose Somnium Space. You know, we very much appreciated the aesthetic that they were creating. And in the play with with lights and shadows and, and audio and, and the power of the builder and the ability of their technical team to just continue to implement and deploy on a very rapid pace, we were convinced that this was the place that we wanted to be and the community that we wanted to participate in because we saw this as just the inevitable future. So in that, we purchased a significant amount of land and we started to ask ourselves, well, what is the purpose of this land? You know, what is the world that we want to create? And kind of the, the vision that I put forward was based on a museum experience that I had in central Brazil called Inhochim, which is a giant open air walking space where, you know, you, you walk through the forest, you walk along the river, dotted along the way are all these different artists, installations and exhibitions. And I wanted to recreate that same feeling for people in a virtual environment so that they could they could come into this space and it could be ultimately a a refuge for them to find that thing that they really connect with. For me, in my mind, the way to shift consciousness and expand imagination and to re-engage the creative side of the viewer is not to throw up four white walls and put some art on it, but let the art speak in harmony with the environment and create structures that complement and are additive. So the museum kind of sits as this, this focal point of a more traditional, it's open air, marble, and, you know, it houses what would be considered our permanent collection. But the idea is to pair that with, you know, somewhere between 25, 30 artist solo shows, keep running this incubator district in the north, and put up a, a gallery district in the south, and kind of create within that world a closed loop ecosystem where 
an individual could first stop by the museum. They could connect with a piece of art that is there. They could hop in a teleporter. They could go to that artist's solo show. They could see a broader swath of their work. They could watch a creative process video. They could read more about the artist. They could ultimately dive deeper into the story of creation and why these works were created and the environments that they were put in. And then if they so choose, you know, they could hop in a teleporter, jump down to the gallery district, find a piece that resonates with them and literally click and, and buy it off the wall. Yeah, that's just like an incredible, incredible experience. And it's really cool that you guys were building out this kind of art portfolio and you guys kind of had this land portfolio and things kind of fell into place perfectly in order to kind of build out the best experience for, for both kind of different categories of stuff. And that's really interesting how you're able to just make these artistic experiences within this virtual world. Yeah, I, I just think what you guys are building at Museum of Crypto, Crypto Art is just, it's just really, really exciting. And so you mentioned these two other entities, the Gallery of Crypto Art. I'd love to hear more about what that kind of is. Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the Gallery of Crypto Art ultimately is just meant to be kind of a, an artist support ecosystem. I will say definitively that we are not here for short-term profits or flipping, but we do want to give new collectors the opportunity to find pieces they enjoy and that deeply resonate with them and get those pieces into their hands. Because ultimately, you know, we want more people vested in this ecosystem and we want them vested on a level where they are passionate and willing to participate alongside of us, whether that's, you know, displaying it in their home on a, a digital frame or whether that's also coming alongside us in VR and building out those spaces that they wish to see. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Let me add to the gallery, you know, like down the line when coronavirus ultimately subsides. Our plan is to have a physical location as well. So, you know, we are collecting physical works in complement to that. And we kind of envision this space to be largely an educational center around what it means to have art on the blockchain. We want to be bringing more people into VR so they can experience digital artworks in, in native digital formats. And we also want to show them, you know, the power of AR as well. So just continuing to prove and educate why these pieces are to us more valuable than, than the physical counterparts. That's amazing. So where do you guys think this physical location will be? Probably Miami. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, no, that, that's so cool. That's almost acting like almost like a, a center for turning people into evangelists because they're going to go in there. They're going to be able to create amazing crypto art. And then they're also going to be able to experience the kind of going inside of a virtual world. And I think when you combine all those factors into one, you're going to turn those people into like hardcore fanatics. So that's that's really, really cool. Yeah, I mean, seeing is believing, right? And there is an experience that you have as a viewer when you're looking at something on a screen, and there is a whole other experience when you are inside a virtual environment with that artwork. Definitely. And so, yeah, you mentioned the incubator of crypto art. Could you tell me more about that? Of course. So this was, for me, is, is where it gets really exciting in that we wanted to obviously see this land be developed, right? So nobody wants to enter kind of just a, a empty world. 
right? So the idea was to give away for free rents to the the artists so that they could build their own exhibition spaces and host their own artworks. And that was done with the design of seeing what the creators themselves could bring to this ecosystem and pushing our understanding of what is possible here and giving them the space and the tools to ultimately empower them to be their own representatives in this journey and show them a bit about where we think the future is headed. I think that makes a lot of sense, especially when there is a pretty big barrier. For example, if I was just coming into the NFT ecosystem, you know, today, totally fresh, I'll be really confused about like, what's going on? What is this platform? What is this product? Blah, blah, blah. So if there was a way that I could kind of accelerate my learning and be guided on my kind of NFT journey, that'd be perfect. Yeah. And just adding to that, these artists in my mind, are really going to be the leading creators of these metaverse worlds. And we think it's going to be one of the most valuable skill sets in the near-term future. There are so many creative opportunities that exist alongside the, I guess, what would be called crypto art in the creation of avatars or, you know, designing and deploying of buildings and I believe that, you know, there will be a tremendous amount of commission work available to these individuals if they are experienced with the tools that I guess are able to bring these visions forward. Yeah, that reminds me of something that Balaji, former Coinbase guy, you know, company Earn got bought up by Coinbase and then you know, he left Coinbase is now working on his other stuff. But he tweeted relatively recently that I guess Web 2.0 was built for the bloggers, built for the writers, you know, because it was all about making your blogs and writing content for the internet. And he said Web 3.0, which is more of the kind of virtual worlds, is going to be built, is kind of built for the creatives. So the people that are going to be building structures and building art and kind of building these, this content that inhabits this, these virtual worlds. So that's a really, really exciting paradigm shift that we're going to see for sure. It's exciting. In my mind, it's a, it's a creative renaissance. The opportunity set available to artists, I think right now is larger than it's ever been. It definitely is going to take some years of, of maturation, but it's incredibly exciting to, to be here and now and to start to pinpoint the different areas that are emerging and rapidly developing. I love that. All right, let's get, let's get into some controversy. <laughs> so I love to hear a little bit about your kind of thought process purchasing the black and red squares from Pac. Is it Pac or is it Pac? You know, who who really knows anything about this guy? Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, it is going to be a bit difficult for me to comment on because I think most people are aware that Pablo and I operate in different segments of this marketplace. So that is a relationship that he cultivated and ultimately a sale and purchase that he completed. Now, the understanding that I have of, of what occurred is that the alpha piece was never meant to be sold, right? And the red piece was put out 
at a, I would say, a leap price for pack with the intention that the price would only continue to rise. So really, it was a snap decision by Pablo to buy it where he did. And it was one ultimately that I fully supported because of just who this creator is. And obviously, the, the piece sparked a tremendous conversation, which in my mind is incredibly, incredibly valuable in itself. So to see the life that this piece has taken on is exciting for me because it, <laughs> I mean, the amount of feedback is, has been tremendous, but I, I love what happened there. I think these were pieces that were, were never meant to be sold and we're very grateful that, you know, they now exist in our collection and, and can continue to further this conversation of, of what is art and, and what we're doing here as a museum. Yeah, I think it was a, just an absolutely genius move on, on your guys' part because, you know, if you just look at Pac and you see, you know, his past works, they're all incredible, right? And then you have these two pieces, which is simple, right? Simple looking, I guess, visually. But then for you guys to come in and purchase those at the prices that they were purchased at was a great way to get people all riled up, right? And, and I think that the purpose of art is for you to feel something, you know, whether you feel sad or mad or happy or whatever, right? It doesn't matter, just to feel. And for you to accomplish that goal so well to make people feel something. Some people were happy, some people thought it was funny, some people were mad, right? That shows a true power of art right there. And it was it was super awesome to see that. And I, I loved it. It really, you know, for me, it, it put you guys right on the map because I knew of you guys, but that was when I was like, whoa, okay, like, who are these guys? You know, this is awesome. They know what they're doing. So it was it was really fun to watch that and kind of see it from the sidelines. Yeah, I mean, a couple more elements to this, right? You know, Pac tweeted afterwards that the, the red pixel was, was meant to provoke. And in that, it certainly did that, right? So I think you're spot on to say that anything that, that generates emotion and, and conversation is uniquely valuable. And also, you know, in our minds, the market was relatively stagnant. I mean, we saw, I don't think at that time we saw anything really moving for, for these amounts. So to just continue to call people in and say, look at this space, look at what, what is happening here, come participate alongside us. A market will not grow if it is stagnant. So we could have sat here for the next, you know, two, three years and, and traded pieces in, you know, a very tight range. But to say a, a single pixel is this valuable, well, then, you know, what is a million pixels worth, right? So there is a conversation and, and that piece as the spark of just broader market growth and telling everybody that, you know, your work is inherently valuable was, was very important to us. So this will probably be, you know, similar to the, to the last answer where um, Pablo and you operate separately, but I would love to know the thought process behind the Trevor Jones Picasso bull purchase. Cause you know, right now I'm pretty sure that is the highest sale price of an NFT so far. I believe it was 55,000 something dollars. And I'd love to know more about, you know, the thought process behind that purchase. Yeah. I mean, 55,500 and 55 and 55 cents. So it, it was 100% a, a similar thought. You know, it always takes 
two people in an auction to get it to the price that it ultimately sells at. So the fact that Jason Williams was alongside of us saying also that, you know, this piece is valuable made it even more valuable to us. And being some early collectors and significant collectors of Trevor Jones's work, it was for us a a trophy piece that we also thought belonged in the museum and could serve as a broader signal to people on the outside to come take a look at this space. So the bull in its symbology is incredibly significant. The fact that it was done in Picasso style with Pablo also being Spanish is incredibly, I know, incredibly important to him. And Trevor Jones is just one of those wonderful people along the way that you meet that is embodies the the spirit of the creator that we want to be aligned with for the long term. Love that. So what is your long-term plan with all this? Are you guys trying to build out the premier art entity of the metaverse or what is your kind of, you know, objective? You know, we, we want to be just loyal to ourselves and the brand and the vision, right? So we think there needs to be a institution that bridges not just the crypto community into this world, but speaks to the, the broader art market of why we're here and doing what we're doing. And in that, there are going to be traditional paradigms that, that people need to touch upon and have access. And in our minds, that place is ultimately the, the idea of a museum. So as the technology evolves and more people are able to enter the space from their own homes, we hope, you know, one of their first stops will be the museum because this ultimately for us will be a place where we can record and and capture the history and serve a more traditional function that average people can resonate with. Love that. So where do you see yourself in five years on a professional level? Oh, I want to be doing this. You know, I want to be dealing in, in digital art for sure. This was a very conscious choice to transition myself from a investment manager into the the art world. So I want to use the, the tools that we have to prove the power of the investments that I've made. And ultimately, I want to be pretty much right where I am today. I mean, it's so difficult to say where the space is going in a month as opposed to to five years. But I think I have a mind that is uniquely suited for this position. And whether that is just as an observer, collector, curator will only, in my mind, continue to grow and evolve. And, you know, if we can stay on the forefront of the technology, we can also become incredibly inventive and creative in what we are bringing forward as to the power of these mediums and spreading digital art so more people can also experience and enjoy it. There's one thing I, I want to add that is so 
uniquely important to me is that I could and I have <laughs> talked to, you know, my mother, my father about what I do and they just have no idea, right? They love that I'm so passionate, but I can, you know, I can bring her the headset and I can put her in this world and I can see the reaction that she has and she just lights up because suddenly she kind of gets what I'm doing and I can tell her like, look at just this tremendous art. Now this art is on the blockchain and, and what the blockchain allows me to do that I couldn't do with a physical work is it allows me to keep it in cold storage, right? I, I really don't have much liability in somebody coming in and stealing the work. I don't really, you know, need to insure the work. I can transfer it. I mean, of course, gas is insane right now, but you know, you can transfer it for, for mere fractions and I can also build exhibition spaces for free. So I can leverage all of these technologies to create experiences that somebody like my mother can understand. And, and suddenly she has an emotional response. And to me, that is kind of just the, the core of what I'm doing and what I hope to evangelize for the next five years. Yeah, I love that so much. I think that we're just so lucky to be in the industry that we're in because not many people, you ask them, hey, what do you want to be doing in five years? Not many people respond with, I want to be doing what I'm doing today. So the fact that we answer that, hey, I'm doing what I love right now, I want to continue to be doing that. It just shows like how lucky we are and and also what an incredible space that that we're involved with. So yeah, it, it's it's awesome. Yeah, it, it very much speaks to, to the time we're in as well, right? You know, a lot of people are out there feeling incredibly frustrated and they need, I think, safe spaces to both question themselves and to express themselves more fully. And I think these virtual worlds really accomplish that. And if we can do it from a, a collective place of, of beauty and, and understanding and, and mutual respect and enjoyment of art and culture, I think it's just incredibly healing so, you know, to create and design these spaces and experiences for people that need it is high on my list as well. All right, let's jump into the closing questions. What is your single favorite NFT that you own? Yeah, you know, the, <laughs> when I saw this question, this is a very, very difficult question, right? Because everything that I collect, I love with my full heart, right? And... I treat it as my own because it had a profound effect on me. And I'm actually going through this whole process right now of, of cataloging our entire collection. And there are thousands of pieces, right? So if I had to pick one, it would be One True Path from Rhyolite. What is that? I'd love to hear, like, what does it look like and kind of what platform was it minted on? So it was minted on Super Rare, and it was <laughs> a piece that I got into a, a tremendous bidding war on and ultimately won. It's a generative piece in which there is a bright yellow light at the center, and there is this evolving background from black into red. There is some haunting music that accompanies it. And maybe, let's see if I can bring it up. There is just this incredible description that he wrote. 
If you bear with me, I've found it here. I will read it for you. And then I'll also talk about why this piece is so important to me. Okay, so the description reads, It is beautiful and enticing. It calls to you in a singular way. All answers will be revealed instantly upon reaching its end. But the one true path is an illusion many spend their entire lives chasing. Some think the light leads to a promised land, but it is a trap. Life is about the journey, and adhering to one true path strips the traveler of the essence of existence. Stare into its depths at your peril and turn away. Your path is a different one. Wow, that is that is beautiful. Yeah, it's like it's very it's very haunting, right? Because for many different reasons, right? So Rhyolite was the the artist that we first connected with, who to me just absolutely embodied the spirit of this community. He was a community manager for a, a tech company in Santa Cruz, California. So he had this wisdom of, of how to curate and create communities. And he created this art on the side. And his art was just evolving incredibly. He was the one who, who came with us first and, and did this first solo show. And it, to us, it just proved kind of the, the power of, of what we were doing. And maybe just a week after you know, we released it. He passed away unexpectedly in his sleep. And for us, it, <laughs> it was uh, just a tremendous shock as it, as it was to other people in the community who, who knew him to be such an excellent individual and to kind of see the growth and evolution of his art and, and how he was personally blossoming. It was a, a tremendous loss. So for me, the piece speaks to not only the values that we should be holding together, but also in that description, it teaches and, and tells you to be true to yourself. So I get, you know, every time I see this piece, I get incredibly emotional because there's so much wrapped up into it that if I only had to choose one, it would be this. Wow, that is a beautiful story and really inspiring piece right there, for sure. That would definitely be my favorite as well if, if I had something like that. All right, what is something that you'd like to see happen or something that you think needs to happen to the crypto slash NFT ecosystem? I don't, I don't know. You know, I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to tell, tell people how to be. I think there is this incredible punk culture that I absolutely adore. It, people have found this for, for various reasons. But I think if we, we begin to look at the collective, there is just a unique spirit of experimentation and, and love and community building and collaboration that is unique to the space that we're in. I hope that kind of the, the new participants are able to recognize this and pick up on this. I think there's going to be natural market evolution and, you know, more ways to get people involved. But when we look at what it means to have a creative renaissance, in my mind, I continue to wish that the artists who likely know it best represent the change that they want to see and are vocal in their own governance. While, you know, me on the other side can continue to to be a collector and additive to the value of the work 
by creating the experiences that enhance it. So I would encourage everybody that this is not a time to be particularly competitive, but to be collaborative and ultimately recognize that we're working towards the same goals. And if this is the case, then, you know, we should be able to band together in support of this vision and lift one another up together. That's awesome. All right. What are the main barriers to adoption in the crypto art space? Oh, I mean, I think that's very simple. That is, in my mind, just the barriers of entry into the technology. Like it's, it would be, it's an impossible chore to go around to all of the people that I want to see in this space, whether artist or collector, and get them signed up for Coinbase and get them to purchase their first Ethereum and teach them how to use MetaMask and teach them either how to mint or to place bids. So in my mind, the available, I guess, population that we're speaking to is still very small. And, you know, we know that the crypto community is small and, and loyal, but how do we begin to engage outside people? And for me, this is as simple as allowing credit card functionality and a back end that secures their purchases. So for me, this was a journey of four years of understanding the technology and, and becoming proficient in it. But for a traditional artist to come into this space and to understand what a public key is and a private key and how to manage all of this and to manage their earnings in Ethereum, I think it's a difficult ask. And I think there's going to be instances along the way where these individuals in particular have artworks perhaps stolen, and this is going to to turn off a, a lot of people. So how do we kind of put the technology on the back end and create seamless user interfaces that allow for everyone to participate is going to be that barrier of entry. That makes a lot of sense. All right, last question. Where do you see the world of crypto art in three years? <laughs> you know, like I, <laughs> I can't, I can't say where we're going in a month, but in three years. So we, we see Apple toying around with 2021 AR, right? We know Facebook owns Oculus and is building their own virtual world. I see a tremendous explosion of these two technologies into the mainstream. Now, how crypto art gets pulled up in all of that is probably, you know, a question I have to ask myself and continue to explore. Artists will continue to create and that's what they should focus on. But it's going to fall on the hands of the collectors and the curators to bring this artwork into these new mediums of distribution and spread them as far and wide as possible. So I think, you know, we will continue to see a tremendous rush of people who perhaps operate more in traditional mediums coming over into digital. They will be attracted to this idea of an open global marketplace. You know, the markets will continue to grow and evolve and facilitate 
these transactions and, you know, the technology will spread them. Yeah, it's it's going to be interesting. It's going to be really interesting. So I, I look forward to it. Yeah, we're definitely going to have front row seats. So it's, it's cool to be in the, the very first wave of all this kind of happening. Agreed, man. Every day, like, I wake up incredibly excited to just delve back into what I'm doing. And that hasn't always been the case. So I do feel very lucky and blessed to be here and, and in this position and to be seeing the things that I'm seeing. I always just like to extend an open invitation for anybody new or old to to reach out. If you're interested in Somnium Space, we have parcels for you to come in and experiment in. And yeah, you know, cheers to the journey. Awesome. Well, Colborn, this has been just amazing. I love what you guys are building with Museum of Crypto Art and and what you guys are doing in Somnium and how everything interconnects and kind of your focus on the culture first and moving the entire space forward that way. I think that's hugely important and you guys are a massive force for good. I'm really thankful to have you guys. And if people wanted to, you know, learn more about what you guys are doing or talk to you specifically, where should they go? Yeah, I mean, Twitter is our is our best place now. We're building a website for this. We are on Discord, WhatsApp. We are everywhere, pretty much constantly connected. We've been working our, you know, we're just like a, a team of three. So we really have been working ourselves to the bone. I think our focus is going to be moving forward in building and deploying the assets that we have. But I would say that we're never more than one degree of separation away from anybody and our dms are open so you know museum of crypto on twitter is a, is a great place to uh find us awesome all right colburn well i can't wait for you guys to come back on again in the future and uh give me an update on, on what you're doing really appreciate all that you're doing andrew it's been such a pleasure to talk to you and you know my deepest gratitude for all that you do thanks man talk soon yep take care Hey everyone, stay tuned for more episodes of the Zima Red podcast and subscribe to the Zima Red newsletter for more info on all things NFTs. Thanks so much for listening.